Welcome to another episode of Cats Talk Wednesday, everybody. My name is Vinny Hardy. Got my man Terry TB Brown here. And Terry, we have us a big time guest this evening. My goodness, we are honored to have this gentleman here with us. Absolutely. We have marketing pioneer, entrepreneur, legend, any description you want to use. Jim Host is here and he has a new book to talk about as well. Jim, we are honored to have you on our podcast there. It's a pleasure for me to be with two UK fanatics uh, and um, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. Uh, the name of my book is Changing the Game uh, and it's about the history of college sports marketing and how I got started uh, doing University of Kentucky stuff and a number of universities, including Tennessee, that we did over a period of time. So I'm delighted to be with both of you. Yeah, I, I was telling you when, when uh, before we start recording that, when they reached out and asked if, if they wanted to have you, if you wanted, you know, have you on our podcast. I was like, well, yeah. Well, I mean, wow. So I was just honored to receive that email and, and honored that you were wanting to come on with us. We, we definitely, definitely appreciated it. Um, and the book, like you mentioned, changing the game. Um, was it was it difficult to compile it? Was it easy? What was the journey and the process like in, in getting this book completed? Well, the way it, way it got started is that uh, my wife and I had uh, Al Smith, who was very famous in Kentucky for doing comment on Kentucky on Kentucky Education Television, and Len Press, who founded KET and was my professor at UK in the 50s, uh, who came to our house for dinner, and they started talking to me about you with all the stuff you've done. You need to do a book. So I did uh, 22 two-hour audio history sessions with Terry Birdwistle, who then was the head of sector, the head of uh, uh, Kentucky Libraries in the oral history department. And uh, from that, they transcribed all those audio histories. And every time that I read one of those transcripts, I remembered other stuff. And so I kept notes of everything that had happened over all these all these years compiling the notes and compiling those audio histories and then uh, found a guy by the name of Dr. Eric Moyen, who uh, wrote the book on the first great UK president, whose name was Frank McVay, who was president of UK from 1917 to 1940. And uh, and I uh, liked his style and, and he was a, he's a sports fanatic. He's now a, a top education professor at Mississippi State University, but he's originally from Lexington got his PhD from UK. And I said, what I want you to do is fact check everything and make sure that everything that I'm saying is accurate and it will hold up the test of time. I also wanted to do a book that could be used for teaching sports marketing and sports administration. So young students would understand how all of this came about and how did, how did things happen that happened. And so as a result, uh, uh, the book came together and it took me five years to do it, but it's a compilation of, 
of interesting facts along the way and a lot of people in it that a lot of people know. And if, if anybody's interested in a book, you can get it through jimhostbook.com uh, called Changing the Game. Absolutely. And it's, it's so much good stuff in there. And you just, you're reflecting on everything, like you said, um, you know, being born in Pennsylvania, living in New York, living in Virginia, living in West Virginia, before finally um, that last move to your home, like you said, in Ashland, as you're about to become a teenager. It's just it's such a fantastic journey. Um, this is a hypothetical, I guess, first of all, though, how and how do you think things would have been different? Say you your last stop was in West Virginia or Virginia. Do you still think you would have been in radio uh, as you would have, you know, tried to become a major leaguer? You still think some of your life would have still been the same? It wouldn't have been exactly the same, but how do you think it would have I grew, out? I, I grew up uh, listening to radio broadcasters when I would be as a young kid, even before being a teenager, uh, my parents would have to come wrestle the radio up, up underneath the covers where I'd be listening to Harry Carey with the St. Louis Cardinals or Rolly Rosie Rosewell with the Pittsburgh Pirates or White Hoyt with the Cincinnati Reds. And I was such a baseball fanatic. I grew up dreaming that I wanted to be a major leaguer and of course signed a pro baseball contract and uh, blew my arm out one night. But in the meantime, uh, as a kid, I would walk down the street describing the leaves on the trees uh, and and uh, trying to become professional in that regard. So I think it was destined. I don't think it would have made any difference where I am would end up, whether it be West Virginia or Virginia. I would have found my way into it. Wow, that's awesome. And some more of the things that just kind of stood out to me as I was reading, as you're growing up, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you seem to be a pretty responsible, pretty level-headed kid. You're always thinking of ways to make some cash and working side jobs and doing this and that. Why do you think your dad was so terrified for you to drive his car? You seem like a pretty <laughs> level-headed kid. Well, because because uh, I was the oldest. Uh, most money my dad ever made in his life was $8,000 a year. And I had two younger brothers, one two years younger and one four, four years younger. Uh, and uh, they lived together in a room. I lived in one room, my mother and dad in the other room. We had one bathroom, a very small house. Uh, I walked a half, a half a mile to a corner and would thumb to school every day back in the years when you could thumb. Never drove a car in my life, never had a car in my life until I signed a, a pro baseball contract, I had no car when I came to University of Kentucky, walked every place, thumbed every place, or rode with somebody else. Uh, and uh, and we, had no, we had no money. So nobody needs to talk to me about uh, how you grew up without having anything. And I worked for everything. I delivered papers every morning at four o'clock. I worked at the YMCA at night for 60 cents an hour, uh, folding towels and renting rooms for $2 a night for railroad YMCA, uh, close to the railroad tracks in Ashland. So uh, it, it, it was nothing for me to, uh, to make a dollar here, make a dollar there. I had to buy my own clothes, had to buy my own books uh, and so on. So, uh, uh, so I understood the value of hard work and the value of discipline and the value of timeliness and 
all of that. And I just grew up that way and I've always been that way. And I'm that way today. <laughs> exactly. Now those those secret driving lessons with your mom, how how did those go? <laughs> well, uh, my my dad, uh, my dad was, uh, as I said, uh, he was a very, very fastidious person who uh, would come home every night and work a slide rule doing his work from the day and back when there were before computers, when people used slide rules, he, uh, he worked in a tannery, uh, had a foreman's position and uh, was very dedicated to his work. He kept uh, a track of every penny that came in and every penny that went out. I've got his, his diary of uh, his journal entries of all of the entries he made when we were kids. Uh, I've got that today. And uh, my mother gave it to me before she died. And, uh, and to think about what they did to be able to provide food for us growing up and, and then what I did. So I became very responsible as a young kid, uh, uh, always looking out for my brothers, always looking out for others. And uh, so it was pretty easy uh, for me to be able to understand what it took to run a company, what it took to try to be successful and how to treat others and so on. Absolutely. Now, I'm just kind of jumping to different points throughout the book, but you um, talked about wanting to be a big leaguer and you, you got to put on that White Sox uniform uh, before you hurt your shoulder. Speaking of the White Sox, tomorrow they're playing the Yankees in Iowa at the Field of Dreams. What do you think yeah. about that? I think that is phenomenal. I can see that movie. I've seen that movie about a half a dozen times with Kevin Costner and, uh, and those old uh, Black Sox, you know, the ones that were in the scandal in 1919 that are coming out of the of the uh, shoeless Joe Jackson, who's probably the greatest player who ever played a game, who's not in a Hall of Fame because of uh, the scandal where they accused him of taking money and he went to his grave saying he didn't take the money and he didn't throw a game and so on. But uh, I just think that is so phenomenal. It's so great. And it's and really it's the genesis of this great game we call baseball uh, that is still America's pastime. and. Uh, and people have tried to diss it in every way they could. Uh, the game's too long, takes too long and so on. But people love the game, still love the game. And uh, they will always love the game. Uh, uh, it's, it's the only thing about it. It's the only game that is a team game and yet it's an individual game. Basketball is a team game and it's not necessarily an individual game unless somebody breaks loose, and makes a great shot. But in baseball, you're a team, but you have to make the plays individually. Uh, whereas in basketball, you can rely upon others. In football, you can rely upon others as a team. In baseball, it's a team game, but it's an individual game. It's, and that's why it's such a classic, great game. That's for sure. And I've, I've not, never understood why they wanted to, to speed it up either. I remember, I'm a Braves fan, but the second game I ever went to, I was 12. Me and my dad went up to old riverfront to see the reds and the pirates it was 1990 the year the reds end up winning the world series and this was my first time in riverfront so i'm just looking around and taking it all in and eating my hot dog and it was a pitcher's duel so i it's you know one two three innings one two three innings i look up it's the sixth inning i'm like man it's gonna be time to go soon and i, I wanted <laughs> it i wanted the game to last longer i've never been one 
you know, to say speed the game up. I wanted to sit and soak it up, and if it lasts four or five hours, so be it. I think there's a lot of other people like that too, uh, for sure. Uh, but it's uh, it's a great game, and it's uh, continuing to game. The Reds are playing the Braves tonight, in fact, uh, yeah. at uh, at the new ballpark that the Braves have in in uh, Northern Atlanta. And uh, I haven't been to Truist Field yet. I went to the Turner ballpark uh, numerous times and Fulton Stadium prior to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, when Hank Aaron hit that home run in, in uh, Fulton Stadium to break Babe Ruth's record. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about all of the great players that have played for the Braves over a period of time, and, and uh, Atlanta has become a real hotbed of, uh, hotbed of baseball as a result. Absolutely. Now, another thing that jumped out to me in the book is when you were, you had to meet with Mr. Kincaid, and <laughs> <laughs> he's got all of these radio stations and his employees names what what fcc regulations was he breaking if he it used, it used to be that uh, you could only own seven radio stations in the country and they all had to be uh not in the same viewing area or listening area as the other what he did is he wanted to control all of the radio stations in central kentucky and you couldn't do that although today you could do it but in those years, you couldn't do it. So what he did is he would buy these stations and put them in somebody else's name, but he controlled them. And so he owned the station in Winchester, the station in Richmond, the station in Danville, the station in Frankfurt, and the key station in Lexington. And, he, and so he had all these people out there that would report to him, but he had them in their names. Uh, so that's and today you could do that. In those years, you couldn't do that. Okay, that, that makes sense. Now I was like, why in the world does he have them in all these different names? I, I knew I had to ask you about that. It was in violation of Federal Communications Commission okay. rules then, because you can only own seven television stations. You can only own seven radio stations, but you couldn't own them within the distance of the other. In other words, you couldn't own a station that reached into Louisville. You had the station had to reach further than that in, in terms of its market. So they were, it was kind of a jurisdictional thing from the airwave standpoint? Yeah, they're a jurisdictional thing. So the people didn't have monopolies. See, the mm. idea was to keep somebody from creating a monopoly. Today, you've got iHeart, which is the old clear channel communications, which is fundamentally a monopoly because they've got stations literally in every market in the United States. But, but uh, so these, it's like uh, AT&T, they broke up AT&T and created all the baby bells many years ago. Now you've got AT&T back to where they're like they were. So mm -hmm. things always go back to the way they were at times, it seems. That's right. It, that circle comes back. It sure does. Another thing that stood out to me is, is when you, you moved back to Kentucky from DC. You got a, a young wife and a young family, and you 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 were able to focus on work, but your family's in Kentucky, and you're like, this isn't working, and you just boom, you moved back to uh, yeah. to Kentucky. Well, I was I was uh, I had been getting promoted by Procter and Gamble, who I was with uh, continually, and they promoted me again to go to Philadelphia and. I said, you know what, my Kentucky roots are calling me back. And uh, uh, I had fallen in love with Kentucky and made up my mind, my mind I wanted to live here the rest of my life. I wanted to grow up. 
I've grown my family in Kentucky. I wanted to be deeply associated with the University of Kentucky, which gave me a college education. And so I came back and I took my real estate test, my insurance test in the same week, and I built a pretty good sized business in a short period of time. And then got involved in politics, went to Frankfurt. And that, again, was another shift that changed the course of my life and then ran for lieutenant governor of the state back before uh, governor and lieutenant governor ran together in those years. Uh, somebody for governor ran, somebody for lieutenant governor ran, and you could have a Republican governor and a Democrat lieutenant governor reverse. So I ran for lieutenant governor, won the primary and got my butt beat in the <laughs> in the general election, thank God, or I'd still be in politics. <laughs> uh, and I came back and then started uh, what became host communications with no money in the bank and, and, and no quote unquote hope, except I always had great hope and great feeling that I could make things work and I did. Yeah, that's because I'm, by the time I'm, you know, I've just heard your name and you're already who you were by the time I knew who you were. So everything that you'd already established has already been in place and up and running by the time the eighties, I'm watching the tournament as a kid and all that, you've already set all this up. So it was just so interesting seeing how you came to all that. It'd be like, a, as I was reading, it'd be like a kid now, I guess, a five or six year old kid that in 20 years starts reading about Jeff Bezos. Oh, well this, oh, he did all this. So that was kind of me finding out about you as I'm reading your book, you were already Jim host by the time I knew you. So, you know, 20 years from now, that kid would be like, oh, Bezos did this and this and that. So that's, that's kind of the analogy I used for learning about you throughout through this book. Well, it's, it's, let me say this, uh, you can do it. Anybody today that has enough uh, drive and enough and, and enough uh, discipline, I call it drive and discipline the ability of being able to completely gear your mind and your effort and your focus into uh, to doing something that, and, you, and you're never gonna be successful at anything if you don't have passion for it. If you don't have passion for it and love, you're not gonna be successful. I had great passion for it and, uh, and I had all these impediments of roadblocks and I would hit a roadblock and blood, bloody my head and go around the corner and Hit another roadblock and bloody my head and keep going through the roadblocks till I got through the end. And uh, so, it uh, any if you read the book carefully, it's uh, it, there were so many uh, aspects of it where uh, where it looked like I was going to fail, but I always had great faith in myself. If you do not have faith in yourself, there is no way you can ever be successful. Because if you don't have faith in yourself, how can anybody else have faith in you? That's very true. One of those roadblocks that stood out to me is when you you were the you drew the short straw, and you had to call the game at Georgia Tech Georgia, in the yeah. rain. In the rain, <laughs> sitting in sitting in the end zone, well on a on a uh, set a table up in the end zone in bleachers, and I was about uh, halfway up in the bleachers, and I could barely see the other end of the field because it was those humpback fields. And so I was looking over the humpback to the other end and it was raining. So there's no way I could tell what the yard marker was or even the numbers of the uniforms. You talk about making it up. Uh, <laughs> I would make it up off the scoreboard. I didn't have video on the scoreboard then. So I couldn't see what was going on. Uh, but I described a game and didn't miss a lick. And, uh, 
and uh, and it, it's one of the great experiences of my life. I can I can just talking to you about it now. I can just visualize that game raining, uh, not, nothing over my head. So all of the spotting boards I had, and I did it by myself. I set up all the I did all the engineering. I did the play by play. I didn't have a spotter. I didn't have anybody calling the numbers for me. I had my own headset on. I had my own engineering stuff on. It's a wonder that the thing didn't get shorted out with all the rain because it was raining like the Dickens. But I got through the game, called the game, and uh, it will always have an indelible memory in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Because that, just the visual of reading about it, <laughs> much less living through it. <laughs> and we got people today. This is why when... At one time, we had uh, over 25 networks in the country, uh, all the way from Kentucky to Tennessee to Florida State to Texas to a number of other schools in the country. And I go in these broadcast booths now, and you've got a cast of thousands in the broadcast doing booth doing what I did by myself in the rain in the end zone of Georgia Tech. So I think about that all the time. And people... When I tell that story, people don't believe it, but it's the truth that happened. Unbelievable. You mentioned Tennessee, and like I told you, I grew up in Harlan County, so I'm, I'm right on the border of Tennessee. You're, the way you kind of, you know, in, in football recruiting, every, every coach wants to lock down the state. You had Tennessee football get, being broadcast in Kentucky, and they weren't really trying to hear you when you told them to stop. So you went and started broadcasting Kentucky basketball games in Harrogate and Jellicoe, which I thought was hilarious, and, and it got their attention. It got their attention because they said, you can't come into Tennessee. And I said, you can't come into Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, so we made a deal. You stay out of Kentucky and I'll stay out of Tennessee. And so I got, but, but, but what was happening was all the stations, including Middlesbrough, Harlan, uh, uh, Pineville, all those counties that exist on that border down there uh, were taking Tennessee football because it was a lot more popular than Kentucky football. And all of them wanted Kentucky basketball because it was a popular thing. And I would tell these stations, you can't get Kentucky basketball unless you take Kentucky football. No, no. I said, not going to get Tennessee football either. <laughs> you, you laid the law down on them for sure. That's how we built the network though. That's that's how we built the network and how we created the following for, for Kentucky football in those years then too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and the history you made, the first of two, the first two scholarships for baseball, UK baseball, and you won the recipients of that. So that's just another, you know, unbelievable. Well, I was, I, I was, uh, uh, I, I had already signed with Eastern Kentucky uh, I was a basketball manager. They wouldn't let me play baseball because they were from basketball because I, I was 6'3", and 6'3 was pretty good size in those years. Uh, and I was a center, if you can believe that. Today, I wouldn't be a high guard. I wouldn't be a guard because it wouldn't be big enough. But in those years, I was a center. and uh, But I was the slowest center in the world. Uh, I could shoot really well. And uh, so they said, look, uh, you're too good a baseball player. We're afraid you're going to get hurt and you're going to hurt your arm. We want you to play baseball and be a basketball. So I was a basketball team manager. So I was, I, I said, well, if I'm going to be a basketball team manager, I'm going to be the best one in the state. And so I, I, I did pretty well at that. And Paul McBrayer, who was a coach at Eastern, 
uh, coached the all-star team. And, and I was the manager of the Kentucky all-star team in my senior year. And he liked what I did and he knew I was a baseball player. So he said, and, and Eastern wanted to sign me to a baseball scholarship, but they only had a half a scholarship. Well, I couldn't afford to go to school because my dad had no money for college. And so, uh, and they didn't have Pell Grants and all that sort of thing then. So, uh, so I, uh, uh, he said, I'm gonna sign you to a half a scholarship to be my basketball manager and Turkey Hughes will sign you to a half scholarship. So you have a full scholarship to come to Eastern. So I had signed at Eastern and now I'm pitching in, in uh, the state summer pro championship in Paintsville, Kentucky against Steve Hamilton. I ended up becoming a major league baseball player, left-hander and uh, I beat him two to one. And I came off and we won the state championship, our team did. And I came off the mound and uh, Harry Lancaster, who was Coach Rupp's assistant, was also the baseball coach. And he was there and he said, Jim, I said, I want to offer you, uh, we've already signed a pitcher from Manuel in Louisville. We want you to be the second full-time uh, scholarship to come to Kentucky. And I said, full scholarship? You mean room and board and books? And he said, yeah, and you get $15 a month laundry money. That was our spending money. And I said, uh, well, I've already signed at Eastern. He said, no, no. He said, I'll call Turkey. He's a, he understands. And I'll tell him that you've, you're not coming to Eastern. You're coming to Kentucky. If you'll come to Kentucky, I said, show me where I can sign. So that's it. <laughs> and you, you mentioned too, with, you know, everything's changing. You wrote about that, how you adapted to change. We're seeing name, image, and likeness now for the players that just came into effect last month. You were bowling for a semi-pro team and had to quit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, Bernie Shively used to hand out $15 in stacks of dollar bills. Uh, and uh, and he would, and you would stand in line with the football players, the basketball players. And there were two of us on baseball scholarship, one on a track scholarship. And that was it. There was no other scholarships. So women, the women didn't have athletics then. And uh, so uh, basketball would always go first. Football would go second. Well, all at once, there's just a few, three of us left. And uh, and and Shive would start off with being his office. He was the AD, and he'd stand where he had a legal pad or a, a sheet of paper, and he'd have your he'd check off your name when he gave you, and then he. He'd hand out those dollar bills one by one by one. And while he was doing that, $15. And $15 was everything to me then because I had no money. And it was my cash for the month. And if I wanted to go to the movies or if I wanted to go get a hamburger or separate, separate, I was able to do it with that $15. They call it laundry money. I didn't get my laundry done. I, I, I just, I figured out how to get it clean somehow, some way, uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, and I got to know some guys that were from Lexington and sometimes their mother, mothers would do stuff for me. Uh, but, but that $15 was everything. And he would, and he would look up and he'd say, are you bowling? And I said, yeah, I love to bowl. He said, you bowling for money? I said, what do you mean for money? He said, aren't you bowling for Budweiser? Aren't they? And I was pretty good at bowling. I said, yeah, we're state champion. How much are they paying you? I said, uh, Mr. Shively, I think I get $25 if I, he said, the next time you take that, your scholarship's revoked. Do you understand it? And I said, yes, sir. I got the message. <laughs> Man. I get to ask a couple more. I could keep you forever, but I don't want to take up too much of your time, Jim. Um, 
you mentioned, you know, Harry Lancaster, who was Coach Rupp's assistant, who coached you in baseball. He became the AD later. How how awkward was that for him and Coach Rupp when he became Coach Rupp's boss? Was it was it kind of awkward? Was it really awkward? Was it? It wasn't. It wasn't just awkward. They didn't talk. They didn't speak. Uh, Coach Rupp really resented uh, Coach Lancaster being his boss. And when I formed my company called uh, to begin with called Jim Holson Associates, I did a book called. Uh, Adolph Rupp as I know him by Harry Lancaster was the first book I did and uh, he talked in that book about uh, his relationship with Coach Rupp which in the later years when Coach Rupp got sick Coach Lancaster went to see him and they made up and they and 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 they shared stories they were very very close and uh, when Coach Lancaster uh, when I did my book for him and I took it to him he wrote a message in the inside. He said, to the young man I coached, it made me the proudest. That's probably the greatest single inscription that I have ever received from anybody because he was the toughest SOB that anybody ever was around. But he he taught discipline. And I question today whether a lot of the players that play today could have played for him. Wow. And I know this wasn't funny for you, but it was I chuckled when when you guys had the accident out in LA and you wake up and coach Rupp is saying oh god is he dead <laughs> well he he was he always sat behind the driver of the bus and when I came on the bus I always sat uh right behind the well uh you know he come in right directly across from him and uh we had he and I had a great relationship and and Shive if Shive was along the, the AD he always sat he would never sit in the front seat. He'd sit in the second seat. Nobody would ever sit in the front seat close to him. I did I, I, because I love to be close to somebody this famous and talk to him and listen to him and so on. Well, uh, this we had played Southern California on Friday night. Uh, the bus was going through a stop sign or through a, a red light and uh, the bus was had the green light. And this car ran the, the red light on their side. And this bus plowed into that car, broadside, took the car across the street, wrapped it around one of those poles and so on. And I went head over heels over the, uh, the area in front down into the well and mm. right on top of my head. Mm. And I was in all washed in blood and stuff uh, because it opened a big gash in my forehead and top of my head. And, uh, and I was knocked out. And so coach Rupp, uh, I could, I, I'm coming out of the days and I could hear the moans of the people under me. It killed three people. Hmm. Uh, and I could hear the moans of the people under me and, uh, who the bus was over top of this car. And, uh, I, and I hear coach Rupp saying, my God, is he dead? <laughs> and, and, and talking to me. And of course I came out of the days. Well, let me tell you about him. As tough as he was, he was a tough guy. Uh, they, he went with me to the hospital uh, while they rest him. Took, I mean, there was a police car that came up, took me to the hospital, and they wrapped my head and put stitches in it and so on. And I did the game the next night, the radio game the next night, with big gauze over my head, uh, looking like a turban on my head, uh, and, and did the game with UCLA the next night, which was the first year that John Wooden was coaching at uh, UCLA. Uh, and they had an African-American kid by the name of Willie Knowles, 
who was a great player uh, for UCLA then. But those are the kind of memories that you remember that you never forget. Absolutely. And another thing that struck me funny, I don't even know if you were meaning to be funny <laughs> when you wrote it, but your your description of Walter Beyer when you first met him, first <laughs> the no, worst, I wasn't saying worst. The same thing funny. I was describing what I saw. He had he he was uh, first of all, I've been in the president's office. I've been in the Oval Office of every president since Nixon, uh, and. Uh, and I've never been in awe of any of them. I was close to being in awe of Clinton because he was the smartest one of them all that I met. But uh, but I've, I've been in the Oval Office, uh, talked to him, I've been around him. I was in awe of Walter Byers. He's the smartest single individual I was ever around in my life. And when I went in to see him to begin with, he's sitting by himself. He never had a scrap of paper in front of him. Uh, he never made a note. He had a steel trap mine uh, and he had a uh, the worst, he had long sideburns. He had the worst toupee I've ever seen in my life. He had a, an eye that was a kind of a, a wandering, we call it a wandering eye, but it was a, a deficiency in one of his eyes. And he was so deceiving in terms of the way he looked at you and he talked and he always wore cowboy boots. Wow. And uh, he was a rancher from, from uh, Kansas, uh, it was his background in agriculture. He owned a huge cattle farm uh, and uh, in Kansas. And he was the most unique person, strongest guy, smartest guy I was ever around. And uh, and uh, I just remember it like it was yesterday, that first meeting with him. Unbelievable. But yeah, that, that wandering left eye is what come, it made me chuckle. But it, I mean, it's, but I'm just getting all the vivid descriptions as you're, as you're describing them, being from my neck of the woods, I, I got to ask you about your uh, most memorable moments of, of K-Wood Ledford, just a favorite memory, favorite story, favorite moment or something from when you were uh, with k -Wood. When uh, 1979, uh, first of all, I'd gotten the norm when I was doing the Kentucky Central Network as one of five originations in 1959. So I got to know Kaywood well. He started doing UK stuff in 1953 for uh, a local station in Lexington, WLEX. And then he went to Louisville and went to work for WHAS and became their broadcaster. And it was the dominant 50,000 watt station in Kentucky. So it had extensive reach, 40, 40 states in the country because of its clear, clear channel signal. And uh, so he became he and Claude Sullivan were really the two voices of Kentucky football and basketball. There were five networks, but I did one of them. And so I got to know Kaywood. And so now fast forward to 1979, where I've now got the rights exclusively for Kentucky. And, and uh, he was doing the games for me. And so uh, I went to see him in Louisville and I said, I want you to come to Lexington. I'm going to establish a company for you called Kaywood Ledford Productions, Inc. And, uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, I said, I can, I can get you enough revenue to make sure that you're solid uh, forever. I'll work with you on building your company. I'll own 50%, you'll own 50%, and it'll be called Kaywood Ledford Productions, Inc. You're the president and CEO. All I want you to do is meet with me once a, once a week. We'll do it at 8 o'clock on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whatever fits your schedule when you're not on the road. So the funny thing about Kaywood is uh, he would come in my office and he'd always kind of look around to see if anybody was there. 
And then he'd say, Jim, this is graveyard. And I said, uh, first time he said that, I said, what's that mean? He said, if you repeat it, you're dead. And, and so, so, so today I use that expression with other people. Uh, George, this is graveyard or Vinny, this is graveyard. That means that I'm going to give you, say you something confidential. And if you repeat it, you're dead. That's it. Goes no further. Last thing, Jim, of all the things you've accomplished, you know, the baseball scholarship, the bundling rights, politics, the, you know, the Lexington Convention Center, Rupp Arena, the Yum Center, everything you had a part in, all these accomplishments, which one are you the most proud of? The one I'm most proud of is what we've just recently accomplished uh, that I started on in 2003, which has been the toughest thing I've ever done. And it's a project called Kentucky Wired. It's, it's getting broadband to every single county of the state. It's been totally volunteer. I've been involved in it, started in state government, kept after it, kept after it, kept after it uh, to get it done. And we're, we're now the first state in the United States to have broadband connecting every single county uh, with uh, high-speed broadband. And, we're, and we've got, we're, we were 47th in the country, we're gonna be first in the country in broadband speed as soon as we connect all of the hollows of Eastern Kentucky and connect all the waste, the vast area of Western Kentucky, all the rural parts of Kentucky. And that'll be done with the money that the feds have just appropriated with bills passed with money that'll be coming to the states and Kentucky's already got a pretty good sized allocation that will then go toward broadband. That means that health situations, as opposed to flying a helicopter from UK Medical Center into Harlan, uh, you're gonna be able to put a, 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 a device on their heart and be able to immediately transmit telemedicine to UK Medical Center with high-speed broadband. You're gonna be able to take kids in rural parts of Kentucky who have not been able to have any broadband of any sort so the only way they could do their homework is to go to the local McDonald's and get on the, the uh, Wi-Fi, and that's going to solve all of that. So we're going to solve the education issues, and, and that will spur Kentucky to huge economic development capability in the future, because industry now will come where there's high-speed broadband. And of all the things that I've been involved in, that's probably what I'm proudest of. Wow, that is unbelievable and all the work and and that work like you said just connecting the state the commonwealth um through the internet through high speed internet that is an amazing accomplishment on top of what you've already done so uh just the honor to be able to talk with you for a few minutes uh, about the book changing the game my career in collegiate sports marketing uh everybody what what was the website again for everybody it's, to go pick it up they can go to they can go to jim host book com, which is an internet uh, thing, and and uh, the books go to a fulfillment house. Uh, they bring them to me. I sign them. I individually autograph every one of them through jimhostbook.com, and then they're mailed out to the individual wherever they're ordered from. And we've been filling orders from literally every state in the country, from some foreign uh, places, and so on. And I'm I'm delighted to do it. And if you want to have another repeat of this, to ask more questions about the rest of the book when we have more time i'm glad to do it for you too benny well we definitely would, would love to have you back we sure would jim thank you so much uh honored i'm definitely enjoying the book and 
definitely love to have you back on to talk about different parts of the book that he didn't get to ask you about. So this was this was so much fun. You need to ask me about how Patino got hired in Kentucky and why and what we went through with that. You need to ask about what happened with the CBS negotiation with us for NCA rights. There's a lot of other uh, how the KFCM Center was done and all the issues mm -hmm. we had that mobile uh, on and on. So I'm glad to come back at any time. Let me know. Absolutely. And, and Terry is a Louisville guy, so I know he would have had some Louisville perspective questions. And that the picture of yourself and Patino in the book, you described him as a challenge to work with. So I was definitely going to ask about that <laughs> as well. So we'll, <laughs> we'll save that for the next one for sure, Jim, and get uh, into okay. that. Look forward to it, Benny. Good luck to you. Oh, thank you so much. Have a good evening, Jim. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to uh, Jim Host. I'm having a hard time saying Jim and not Mr. Host, but he gave us permission to call him Jim. So definitely uh, enjoyed that. Such an honor to be able to talk with him about the book and definitely looking forward to having him on again to talk about different portions and segments of the book that we didn't get to uh, in this time. Uh, such a nice guy, a legend for real. Uh, we've had some legendary guests on here before, and he goes right up there to the top of that list with all those other great guests we've been fortunate to have here on Cast Talk Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed that, and uh, try to bring you the rest of the show. Hey, we had some technical difficulties, but we'll get on to the rest of the show. Hopefully, myself and TB will be right here with you. Thanks again for listening, y'all. What's going on, everybody? We got the second hour of Cast Talk Wednesday. VH and TV in here, man. Oh, TV just finished up with Jim. And here's the good news. He said that he would love to come back anytime and talk about the book again. He just offered that up. And I said, well, we'd love to have you back again to be able to talk about the book again. So we'll definitely get you on again next time. And we'll have Jim on again when he wants to hop on. So. Uh, that that's great. I hate. I was. I don't know what was going on. My Zoom, like everybody else during this pandemic, uh, I thought was good to go on my laptop. I was good to go. Computer wasn't recognizing the microphone uh, or the speakers. I couldn't see or hear. And now my sound is completely down on the laptop, so I don't know what's going. So I'm fussing, fussing, and fussing, and fussing. And the lovely future Mrs. TB said, "Well, you got your phone." I said, oh, yeah, and uh, but I didn't want to hop in and, 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 and take away from what you were doing. So a uh, little bit of aggravation, but it's one of those things, man. We got to keep pushing forward. That's it. Remind me that time that we had Nick Mingione on. I think that was still blog talk, and I was calling, and my phone was muted some kind of way, and I was, I was there, but I wasn't, and I was trying to get in there and talk, and so I was I – was, I was, like you said, it's one of them things. And so you was, you know, I hate that, but hopefully we can have him back in. Because he, he said it. Because, you know, he said, uh, and next time you have me back, you can ask me about, you know, the Yum Center, and you can ask me about Patino, and you ask about this and that. And I was like, well, yeah, and, and Terry is a Louisville guy, so I know he would have some Louisville perspective type questions for He said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So uh, he's willing to come on with us again. And uh, we can get you those, them Louisville questions out there to Jim. And 
all the stuff we didn't get to talk about because this there's no way to be able to ask him every single thing you know i was trying to hit stuff that jumped out to me still a few chapters i hadn't got to yet so we'll get him on again and ask him some more stuff yeah yeah that was great i, I know you did a good job we were off last week so man we had tons of stuff happening we got you know cats winning gold medals we got your lakers doing stuff in free agency we you know football season's almost here we got you know you uh, team usa won gold and i mean just <laughs> Heldon johnson bam autobio uh, devin booker and dev all got gold medals friend of this show TB she was on here with us Kenny Harrison was on here with us and she's over there winning medals in Tokyo let's just start with the Olympics you know <laughs> uh, obviously you, you kind of the caveat is the, the pandemic is ongoing okay let's just put that out there but looking at it from a purely sports perspective did anybody do better than the Kentucky Wildcats I mean, nope. you, you you look around, and from shooting to fencing to track and field to basketball, a lot of cats winning. I know at one point, if Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, and related athletes were its own country, they were like top 25 uh, in the world when it came to medals. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was bad, but then somebody did the math on that. I said, oh, that's, okay, that, that math, maths. That's a statement. <laughs> and, and it wasn't just the men's basketball team. Now, Mike DeCourcy said that those three should count as three different medals, but he's getting a wonderful article about that. But, wow. Yeah, I'm, I was with him on that. I was just kind of assuming that that was the case. No, the, <laughs> the, the basketball team just counted as one. But... All cats, everything. Uh, Sydney, go Sid, go. Oh man. Uh, and, and Muhammad, the the USA runner that finished the second place. Yeah. They've been exchanging the world record back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then they both beat it. Yeah. Second place beat the previous world record. Like, what? I mean, that's. I don't know. That's Sid. Sid and, and it looked like she still had some left. Now, yeah. I'm not like uh, I'm not our, like our man Van Howes. I'm not into track. I'm not going to pretend that I understand the mechanics and all that. You know, let me be very clear. When I say I run, you know, I start running during the pandemic. I use that term loosely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sprinting anywhere. <laughs> it, it takes me a while to get going. Takes me a while to slow down. Uh, I tell you, when I'm trying to run, and you know the 200 meters, the 400 meters, you know anything past 100, I tell folks, just try to run and turn in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Like I get, you know, the 100 meter dash, boom, right? You know, that's just we've been running like that since we were kids. Not that fast. But just running a straight line for a little bit. You put that turn in there, and and the way Sydney accelerates through the turn, that is what blows my mind. You know, so uh, and didn't her her time in the hurdles would have just qualified for the straight 
regular race without hurdles, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's <laughs> if you just reg- if you're running without hurdles and you see somebody doing that, that's deflating to me. Like, her, t- her hurdle time is better than my, my regular time? Right, right, right. So, <laughs> you know, it, the thing I like about track and field track and field to me that's the olympics that is just the basic all right everybody line up we're gonna run like that's just like that's a field day that's a foot that's a foot race right it's just basic stuff all right the javelin let's just throw these spears (laughs) you know (laughs) the shot put throw this rock like it's track and field in its essence can you jump high can you jump far can you run fast like I'm, mm-hmm. I, I know it's more complicated than that, right? I, I get that idea, but honestly, it's pretty. It's the basics of what we do. Mm-hmm. Of, of of just anybody can run the hundred yard dash. You don't need any really special equipment. I get a bunch of people my age. We can run. It ain't gonna be very fast, but we can run. Mm-hmm. So, but I so I love that aspect of it, and uh, you know, little disappointing. With with some of the performances, Carl Lewis was upset at the men's four by four by one hundred, four by four hundred, four by four hundred. Everybody runs a hundred. Is that what? Yeah, yeah, four by four hundred. Yeah, that was the one where you know, and it's it's Carl Lewis saying this, and they couldn't get the exchange right. He said they had the right people in the right legs. He was, and 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 even Michael Johnson, Mr. Gold Shoes himself. Yeah. Can, can you believe that's 25 years ago? Shout out to the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. Yeah, 25. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, yeah. you, look, you show up with no shoes. Yeah, crazy. Woo. Anyway, but my but my point is... That was, was great swagger, too, by Michael. That was swag. Yeah, and you set the world record in the two and the 400? <laughs> Come on now. And, and, and honestly, that's... Uh, that's why I love track and field. To me, that, look, the gymnastics, great, right? The, the the swimming great but and, and they got equestrian there's so many now they're skateboarding it, okay that all is great but to me it's track and field uh what was missing for me was the 100 meter dash that mm-hmm. used to be the showcase event yeah. like we knew those dudes donovan bailey and mm-hmm. and, and, and carl lewis and uh, of course usain bolt and, and and so on and so forth but I didn't know anybody, and I'm not saying, and, and, and I get that, you know, track and field is very, it's a very niche kind of thing when it's not the Olympics, but as a sports fan, which I think I am, I generally know at least two or three dudes going into the 100 meter dash, like their names have come up. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I didn't feel that way this go round, so it was a little bit different. Uh, the Olympics are going to give you some great moments. Which there were moments all over, but it used to be random stuff like in the summertime, like probably when we were eight, ten, twelve, fourteen years old, it'd be just a random track event that would come on and you just watch it. Oh, okay. Cool. And you know, this would be in non-Olympic stuff. It would just just <laughs> something on NBC. Tom Hammond would be commentating. Yeah, it'd be and, some mean oh, or it'd okay. be the wide world of sports. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but you don't get a whole lot of that anymore so that, that you would kind of pick up. That would keep you in tune with who, when the Olympics would roll around, you'd be like, oh yeah, I saw him last year in this. Well. You know, two years ago in that. The the problem is this. Uh, 
I think that NBC is making the Olympics a TV show and not a sporting event. And the way these things are produced, uh, and again, I didn't consume wall-to-wall Olympics this go-round. Usually I kind of try to immerse myself in a little bit, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a TV show. And it's one of those things you don't have to force a narrative. Right. And, and, and you kind of let the game speak for themselves. It's like one of my biggest aggravations with the NCAA uh, men's uh, basketball committee is you don't have to try to see teams to create a narrative. Let the games just do that. Right? The, the, right. the games themselves, and this is going to sound a little cold, a little callous, but every athlete is overcoming something to be at the Olympics. Everybody's families had to sacrifice something. If your kid is in the Olympics, you've had to give up a lot. And I there's a fine line between telling the story and giving us what amounts to inspiration porn, for lack of a better phrasing. <laughs> right. Where it's just all the tear jerk stuff. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. You know, this person's uh, mother, father, coach died. Okay. And, and and I know this sounds cold and heartless, but if you watch a little bit of the Olympics, you get a lot of that, and it, it makes you jaded. At some point, it all becomes background noise. I, I just and I think there's other things you can do to. To, to, to make the games interesting, to tell people stories. You know, I, I just think that, and just sports in general, there are no guarantees, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's had to put in work. Everybody's had to do this and this and this just to compete. And let's be clear that when we use phrases like settles for a silver, fell to a bronze, that ain't mm-hmm. right, man. Especially when the difference between first place and fourth place is an eye blink. Yeah. Come on. Even if you get smoked, me and my wife were talking about this. uh, I think it was one of the swimming events. And, you know, after a while, especially, well, even if it's like just the 50 meter where they sprint and swimming, or if it's the 400 or 800 when it's multiple laps and, you know, there's time that elapses in the race, it eventually kind of looks like the Derby. You got your first and second battling it out, and then you got a straggler coming way at the back. You know, there's, you know, two people bringing up the rear or whatever. So like, you know, even if you get smoked, you're still the seventh fastest in the world. I mean, that ain't going to get you a medal or nothing, but you, you're still top ten in the world. Right. And and, and that's, my, that's my thing, just to get to the Olympics. Yeah is just to get the Olympics it's you know it's an honor just to be nominated mm-hmm. that's for sure for sure yeah it was uh, and the, the time change made it weird and all the different channels and the, 
the peacock i didn't even try to find the peacock i just i saw snoop and kevin hart on there that was funny with them talking about equestrian but uh the 13 hours ahead and are they on wednesday or is it tuesday over there and we're on what I, so I, it was hard to kind of it, it made it harder how is it more confusing to find it now than like the 96 olympics when if i'm recalling correctly our newspaper had an entire guide for the olympics where you knew in your time zone what was going to be where and i think it was just like at that point it was just nbc and maybe like two or three other channels like it wasn't i don't know it's it's hard to do because of the time difference Mm-hmm. So I give NBC that. And it's hard when people already know the outcome. It's yeah. hard to build the drama. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get that. So I give them a little bit of leeway, but still. But yet still, you know, let's, you know, uh, enough of the, you know, the sick dogs. And the, this, you know. <laughs> I, you know, and I know it makes me sound heartless, but I was telling Ken, I said, look, it's just, come on, everybody's got something. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm cold and heartless. Maybe, maybe that's how it works. But I thought the Olympics overall, it was good. It was, it was an Olympics. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if we're going to have that, if we have that moment, like, I, I don't know who's going to come away with being the new, you know, Mary Lou Rett, right? Like, or the mm-hmm. new Carl Lewis. I didn't get a feeling that um, uh, that there was going to any. And that's the problem when you have narratives in your head before you go in. Is you don't look for those kind of organic stars, those people, those stories that kind of bubble up. Uh, naturally, because everything is focused on, you know, did the stars going in do what they were supposed to do, right? And you kind of, you kind of leave uh, the other folks kind of in the background. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I wish there was more when it came to these kind of different events. Tell me what I'm looking at, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think. Uh, when it comes to and this now I'm saying it's very difficult to do because I think I know basketball pretty good and I enjoy some of the different commentators on the game but when I watch a game with Hubie Brown I still learn something uh-huh. right yeah. and so the challenge is for these niche sports for NBC is you have somebody that knows what they're talking about and you have somebody that can communicate it, and then you have someone that can communicate it to people that don't know the sport. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is a lot of, I saw a lot of this on social media talking to folks, like, hey, I just kind of watch and watch, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> so I wish there was a little bit more of, okay, you know, I don't know what I'm looking at on this three quarter turn on this dive. What does this mean? backhand somersault what is this what 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 should i be looking at right i I think that's that's part of it uh you know the realization people came to that the water polo folks aren't standing on the bottom of the pool 
like the pool. <laughs> yeah. They're they're swimming and treading water the entire time, which, oh my goodness, that seems exhausting. And I thought the water was deeper, two meters, which is, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm, you know, six feet or a little bit more, six and a half feet. I thought it was like twelve or thirteen feet, but they, you know, I thought it was even deeper than it is. Right, right, but they're treading the water the whole time, yeah. so uh, it's 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 crazy. So uh, you know, America did well. And when the when the ball gets to the quote unquote paint, they you get the crap beat out of you if you're trying to get a shot off. The closer yes. you get to the goalie, the worse beating you take. Yes. <laughs> yes. They, I mean, you get mauled and scratched and clawed and pulled under the water. It, I mean, it's just, like you said, I don't know what's illegal and what's not. It looks like anything goes to me. If you can just, you know, maim a dude to keep him from scoring, you, you do what you got to do. That's the way it looks. Yeah. <laughs> so. If I take your elbow out and you rip your shoulder out of socket and you can't get your shot off, okay, we're going back down the other end of the court. That's the way it looked to me, Terry. That's what I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, a lot of this stuff, I'm just trying to figure it out. You yeah. Know, like, I, I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, but, I hear that whistle blowing, but I still see a bunch of bunch of physicality them, happening. Give, giving up the business. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, so. Uh, so, the, the, the men's basketball team rebounds to win. The women's team rebounds, or doesn't even rebound. They haven't lost a game since 96, or since 92, undefeated since 96. Uh, it goes back to what I said before this all started, or right when it started. The two most dominant international athletic teams America has ever had are men's and women's basketball. And for the most part, it's a big yawn. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish I could put my finger on it. Uh, I mean... Yes, I realize the, the, the men's team lost in 04. They, they, they got a bronze. And they lost in 88. They lost in 72. That's three times going back to 1936. Which, I mean, come on, man. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, good thing we had Kevin Durant. I Because my whole thing was once we got to the gold medal game, and it was France. I'm like, well, we can't lose to France. <laughs> we can't lose to Rudy Gobert. Like, we can't lose <laughs> for a second if, time. If 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 you play Slovenia and Luka Doncic goes for a triple double, okay. Like, all right, you just okay. But uh, you can't lose to France. Yeah, especially uh, when they already beat you on the exhibition. You can't be getting can't right too. <laughs> right, you can't you can't lose to France. Uh, Kevin Durant is that dude and he's existing in that space of probably we will look back in 10 years and be like we did not appreciate this dude enough mm. like he just happens to be playing at the same time as another absolute freak LeBron James yeah. and he's just doomed he's just doomed to be overlooked but that dude is a baller I said beforehand, I don't know why he's playing. Like, right. he was out for two years with the Achilles, mm-hmm. the truncated uh, NBA schedule. Mm-hmm. Steve Nash decides to play him every minute of a seven-game series. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude just is like, all right. Steve Nash channeled that Thibodeau, just, just 
rub, beat you into the ground. Yeah, play, 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 play. play. <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta find somebody <laughs> to to give them minutes. But um, I, I think uh, that we still have dudes. I don't think the rest of the world is caught up. I just don't. Does the do these other countries have great players? Of course, of course. They don't have as many good players as we do. Right. And, you know, when you think about it, I said this on social media. Somebody said, well, yeah, Steph Curry's never played mm-hmm. on, the, on, on any international team. So, obviously, we're not sending our best if we're not sending a two-time MVP. Yeah. Right? So, obviously, we're not sending all of our best. And friends so, had what Fournier, Gobert, and and who was it? They just had two NBA guys or something. Oh, Batum, Nicholas Batum. Yeah. So that's that's middle of the pack. Just well, Gobert's a you know defensive star, but Fournier and Batum, they just you know solid dudes, but they ain't, they ain't facing no franchise. And the rest of the world has caught up enough to where we just can't roll dudes out there. Mm-hmm. We we just can't roll, you know. We can't just pick a team the first week of June, and by you know the end of June they're ready to roll. The rest yeah. of the world is caught up enough for that. Mm-hmm. But no, come on, like this that that's not. Uh, we're, we're we're not to that point where uh, I don't think we'll win. Right, right. Uh, but because keep in mind the 2016 team it was a 30 point blowout in the gold medal game mm-hmm. and when you've got three dudes that hopped on a plane almost a week before the Olympics started <laughs> to go from the finals yeah. to, to the uh, Olympics then it turns out that uh, Dame Lillard had a torn stomach muscle and you got Draymond Green. He's not scoring, although he made some plays to win in the gold medal game. Yeah, he did. He, he made some right kind of plays, which is a good thing. But we're to that point now. We just can't send dudes. Yeah. So I, I think looking forward to – are they going to get back on the four-year schedule? Is it going to be 2024, I guess, the next Olympics? I think so for Paris, right? Right. So, okay. So that's uh, Ja Morant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Zion Williamson. Right. Uh, Trey uh, Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, my response to that is good luck. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Good luck guarding Zion Williams. Like, good luck with that. America's going to be fine. The boys <laughs> are going to be all right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the women's team. I mean, I don't even know. You you run out of superlatives for what the women's team has even been about. Yeah. They just, they haven't lost since 1992. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they haven't Bird lost. and Tarasi, they out there 40, 39 and 40. Yeah. Yeah. So, Give love to the give love to the women for uh, everything that uh, that they've done. It's just it's it, it's incredible, and I don't know why it is the basketball teams either one gets any love. 
like usually Americans love to beat their chest about winners but the the women's team I I, I don't get it I, I, I just don't get it they have become the globe trotters against the rest of the world in a sport that we really like we love basketball here in America but it doesn't it doesn't move the needle and the men if they don't win by 30 it's an issue and, and one last thing my frustration comes in when people come out with these same tired arguments whenever the men lose or they don't win by 40 well you know uh, they're not taking the pictures in the middle of the game with people it happened one time like come on <laughs> like you look people just need to take that 1992 team out of the equation just you, you can't use that as a barometer for anything Mm-hmm. That that team in all of sport history is an outlier. Like, oh, just 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 stop. Just you can't use that as a barometer. Not only was it thirty years ago, but come on, man, you can't you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know the Olympics the, are the Olympics. Uh, I, I guess you know we'll go back to ignoring the Peacock app again. Oh yeah, for sure. One thing we too, you, you said I'll catch everything as always. But we uh, would be remiss. We got to give love. We don't talk a lot of golf. We got to give Jensen Castle some some huge love for winning the U.S. amateur title. She was hurt. Hadn't even played in a few weeks. Shot a 79 on the first day. And then still battled back. Won playoff holes. And uh, just went out there and handled business. She kind of captivated, you know, BBN Twitter for her run that she was doing en route to winning that tournament. Yeah, I mean it's all cats everything. And and I hope with with the success, the athletic success we can that we've had the last twelve months, can we stop with is could UK is just a basketball school? Can we just can we stop that? At what point? We got world record holders, we got you know, we got golf winners, like at what point can we stop that? Yeah. Right, like there's champions in all kinds of other sports. Like, can we just stop it? Let's just stop. Absolutely. So congratulations, Jensen, because she didn't even pack enough clothes. She didn't even think she was gonna be out there that long, and you know, still went out there and, and did her thing. And she's just a sophomore, so you know, take that, everybody else that you know, Kentucky women's golf is gonna be going up against for the next couple of years. Yeah, so, be around a while. <laughs> uh, you know that—that's another all cats everything. You know how I am when it comes to the comes to the blue man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Sydney Jensen, all the other cats we already talked about. You know, fencing the rifle, like you said. Um, man, let's go and talk about your your Lakers in frequency. Where you at? Look, because they making moves, and we, you know. You, Mr. Purple and Gold, so got to see what you think of what they have done. Uh, you, you know, again, I've been saying this. I'm gonna keep saying it. LA's got a plan. The plan is we got right now. We've got LeBron. We've got AD. Get them healthy. If they're healthy, the team is competitive. I think that that's kind of universally agreed upon. Uh, it was we needed another ball handler 
So you bring Russ in. I think Russ will fit in great. The pieces that they have around the big two and big three now will make them competitive. You know, because uh, keep in mind, until Anthony Davis got hurt, they were up 2-1 on the Suns. So this isn't just wild speculation. They will be healthy. Uh, you know, if Carmelo's got anything left, I, you know, and it's fine to say that they're old. They got some young legs. Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk. I'm happy for Malik. Now, I hope all the rest of it just crumbles and doesn't pan out. But happy to see Malik. Get but, a, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, again, <laughs> when you look back three years ago, when LeBron said, I'm coming to L.A. Three years ago, in 2018, the team was terrible. Kobe was retired, and, and, and what are we going to do? LeBron shows up, and you get a title. That's already better than everybody else has done with their three-year plan. So now it's house money. Will it work? I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, hey, we got Shaq and Kobe. Uh, bring in Mitch Richmond. Oh, okay, yeah, he You know, <laughs> you know, uh, Glenn Rice. You know, like when you have two dudes, you can get crazy with it. You know, you got Shaq and Kobe. Uh, bring in Peyton and Malone. I know a lot of people say, well, he didn't win. Well, they got to the finals, so it's not like it was a crash and burn scenario. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, and even if you roll the dice on uh, Steve Nash and a young Dwight Howard, okay, that bombed, but <laughs> the Lakers, when they're rolling, they don't, they don't, they don't sit on their hands, right? I, I think a lot of franchises kind of just we got a three-year plan. The Lakers are always in win-now mode, always. That's true. And, and I had somebody point, well, you know, they were bad for a decade and still over the last quarter century, more titles and finals appearances than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, come on. Yes, they were bad, young 20-something NBA person. <laughs> Unfortunately, the NBA, <laughs> they actually played the NBA in the 1900s. So, you know, look, <laughs> I turned 44 years old last Thursday. Yes. I have seen 10 in my lifetime. There have been 10 presidential elections and 11 Lakers championships. And it's just, that's, (laughs) we really are spoiled. Your Laker fandom is super spoiled. Our Kentucky fandom, Kentucky basketball fandom is spoiled. Yeah. With your Laker fandom, good Lord. Every four years of your life, you've seen this. 11 in the 44 goes four times. Yeah. Oh boy. And, and that's even with eight years of being objectively terrible. That's even with that. Forty years that they were terrible. <laughs> that that's even <laughs> with Magic Johnson retiring spur of the moment. <laughs> you know, I talked about this before. How Magic surprise retirement, and within five years, Shaq and Kobe 
four all-stars, we loading up again. Like, I mean, so will it, will it work? I don't know. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm going to enjoy it. The Lakers are always must-see TV. The Lakers are always, uh, I think the NBA is better when the Lakers are good. So they went from 88, the year they beat the Pistons, right, for the second time? Yes. They went from 88 to 2000 before they won a title when Shaq and Kobe won another one. They went 12 years without a title? Yes. but And then you had a decade whenever they didn't make the playoffs or whatever. So, And you still seen 11 titles basically in 20 years. You got 20 bad years. Well, 12-year title drought and however long but, they were terrible. But, and you still got 11 titles. But but bad, again, is is bad is relative. Right, the 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 two thousands, the the twenty from twenty ten, from twenty eleven to twenty eighteen, that was bad, bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, but keep in mind, uh, loss to the Pistons in eighty nine, loss to the Bulls in ninety one in the finals. Mm-hmm. Magic retires, right, and then, uh, like I think I told you before, there was only there has only been one season. One season in 40 years, the Lakers did not have a Hall of Famer on the roster. James Worthy retired in 94. So the 95 season, no Hall of Famer. 96, Shaq comes. (laughs) And so uh, once Shaq gets there, that's when they're, you know, again, it's all relative. When I say it's bad, the Lakers were making the conference finals, the the you know the, sem- the, the the conference semis, right? They were they were they were very very good teams. Couldn't get over that hump. So it's all very relative. You know, it's it's like you know Kentucky fans, as you said, we're spoiled. We don't put up banners for conference titles in Rupp Arena, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, the, and the Lakers don't put up ban. There's no. Pacific Division Championship banners. There's no, hey, we made the finals banner. There's none of that. So, when I say they were bad years, those teams were still competitive because as soon as Magic retires, then you get Nick Van Exel, you get Eddie Jones, you, know, you, you get Cedric Zabalos that comes in. He's an all-star in 95. And then, you know, you sign Shaq, you trade for Kobe, and then you're off and running again. Yeah, but the Lakers have always had a plan. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if it'll work, but I'm interested to see is is this the point where AD becomes the focal point? Like that's a conversation that that, that Lakers are going to have to, you know, with AD and Bron. Is this where we start seeing that torch being passed? Because if AD can be that dude that I think he can, and even if LeBron is diminished, if LeBron's your second, if he's your number two, uh-oh. And then if Russ is your number three, still even diminished, that's a pretty good three. So if you can get some spot duty from Carmelo, if you can get, if Malik Monk can get his groove, which, hello Kentucky fans, we have seen Malik be able to get on that groove a little bit. 
now we're talking something. Yeah, Melo and Monk give you some shooting. You're right. Uh, Russ being the third option, that's, that's you know, LeBron, is he going to just get in and fit in and fall in line? Because, you know, is he is he going to be that guy for this team? I think Russ, I love Russ, supremely confident. But Russ has always believed he's the, he was the best player on the team. Yeah. <laughs> And that ain't happening on this team. And it, does he know that? We know that. You know that. As much as you bleed purple and gold, you know that. But it don't matter. The question is, will Russ accept that? I believe so. And this is probably just wishful thinking, but but I believe so. I think you can get in a position, and we've seen players do that, where they kind of kind of change not completely change who they are, right? I'm not expecting Russ to shoot 40% from three. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Yeah. I think Russ, Russ goes at 110 miles an hour every time. Yeah. And he gets frustrated because other people don't. Well, he doesn't have to worry about that because LeBron's already setting the tone for that with the team. AD's already he Russ doesn't have to come in and set the tone mm-hmm. because he had to be that guy even in Oklahoma City Kevin Durant who I just said is one of the most gifted basketball players we've ever seen but he wasn't that dude that, that wasn't him to kind of lead so Russ had to be the emotional leader for that team right but he doesn't have to do that Russ doesn't have to come in and be rah-rah guy Right, he 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 doesn't have to come in like he went into Houston and figure out how to play with with James Harden dribbling yeah. for twenty seconds every possession uh-huh. because the ball is going to find him. And 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 a Lakers fan, I can't remember who it was, tweeted this out: "You've got Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis on a pick and roll with LeBron opposite." <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, good luck with that. Or, uh, you know, people we like to think of, you know, you run the pick and roll. They got to send three people over. You spot out. You, you know, you, you give it to a jump shooter, right? We think you, you get that double team, reverse it for a three. Or you swing it, and now you've got someone charging at Russ, and he's coming with a full head of steam. Or LeBron's coming up with full head of steam opposite the pick and roll action. Now we're talking about some things, right? Now we're talking about that. Yeah. And if and if Nunn and if Carmelo and if uh, 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 Monk can 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 hit some of those outside shots, wow! Now you got now you're cooking with gas. That's true. That's true. They got you know got to go. Uh... Think about the slam magazines we used to get, and you know we had Jake Fisher on promoting his book "Built to Lose" and how you know teams are taken on purpose. And we were loving the fact that he, for a brief part of his career, wrote for Slam and was in the Slam yeah. Dome and got to do all that. You remember the section of Slam, the little smack section, and they'd be talking trash, and at the end they would just say somebody's name and they just kind of tail off and it'd be like, you know, Nick Van Exel, blah, 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 and such and such. And 
Eldon Campbell, Eldon Campbell, Eldon Campbell, Eldon Campbell, and whatever. If, if the issue now would have to say Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder, who turned down $84 million from your Lakers because he just knew he was getting 120 from somebody. And now has to go to the Celtics for what one year and five point nine million. Whew. I, I I'm all about betting on yourself. Ooh. I, I'm I'm all about betting on yourself. And again, this is how these guys got to the NBA in the first place. Right? Is 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 overcoming the odds and all this kind of stuff. However, somebody had to tell him hey man like you gotta take this like I, th- that's fumbling the bag and I'm not doing it to nanny nanny boo boo at, at him specifically but man you gotta you gotta take that money yeah. uh, you know 80 million like you're, you're not gonna get the super max deal or whatever you know not the super max but you're not gonna get that max you know, I think that the the writing was on the wall pretty early on that the Lakers weren't. Oh, you don't want it? Okay, and they already start making plot the plans without you. It's like it's like 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 uh, like Draymond said about Paul Pierce. They don't love you like that. Well, Dennis, teams don't view you like that. You ain't that elite of a player. You're not in that class. You thought you were, but but you're not. Uh, <laughs> Sony. Tony Depp texted me and he said, he said, I'm just gonna read the text. He said, he said, where do you start with this food? He said he overvalued the market. He was stuck on getting a hundred million. And you leave warm weather to go to cold weather. His backup, Alex Caruso, got more money than that. So I mean, yeah. Yes. Whew, yeah. now the, the Caruso departure uh it hurts a little bit. Right. Um so uh, that that is a, a concern because he was a steady influence on that second unit. He played hard too, P- particularly uh, in the bubble. And so you know we we do spaces on Tuesday nights on the Twitters. Mm-hmm. And last week well, we didn't have a show, but la- or we didn't have our show. We're on the Twitter spaces, and somebody said, "I don't know who it was, but I got so confused." Uh, Somebody said, when has LeBron ever closed out a series? Because we're talking about what Giannis had done. And I'm like, what? Huh? And I said, well, you know, game six of the 2025. Oh, that was in the bubble. I'm like, okay, that still counts. Um, But (laughs) so I did my Googles and LeBron is 31 and three in closeout games over the last, like, going back to, like, 07. He's averaging, in those games, like, 26, 9, and 7. I'm like, okay, those are my good numbers. You probably don't remember this, but do you remember Boston had a big three mm-hmm. with Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen? In 2013, the Celtics were up three games to two in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game six was in Boston. Do you know what LeBron James did? Ooh. 
45 and 15 <laughs> in game six. Do you know what he did in game seven? 31 and 13. Ooh. Well, somebody said, and I've seen it, well, you know, Ray Allen, you know, saved his bacon. You know, Ray Allen hit that shot. <laughs> you know, look, man, we have all, look, I'm old enough to remember Steve Curry hit a shot for George Bulls. And yep. John Paxson hit yep. a shot. Horace Grant hit a shot. So I I went and Googled that game, the Ray Allen shot. LeBron James had 31, 13, and 11. A 30-point triple-double. And you're like, whoa, well, LeBron had a bunch of help. Do you know who the second leading scorer for the Keat was in that game? You're probably thinking Dwayne Wade. Nope. Dwayne Wade had eight points. You're probably thinking Chris Bosh. Nope. Chris Bosh had 11 points. Uh, 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 Norris Cole or uh, Mario? Mario Chalmers <laughs> had 20 points in that game. Rio. The only, the only two Heat guys. Well, I, I'm sorry. What's his name? Had 11. But come on, man. If I had told you that. LeBron was going to have a 30-point triple-double. The second-leading score is going to be Mario Chalmers. You'd have been like, well, pfft. so come on. It was it was clear that toward the end there, it, it wasn't a big three. It was LeBron and these guys. Yeah. And so, look, I, I get everybody hates LeBron for whatever reason. He flops in the decision. But come on, man. Like, we ain't got a lot. Say you don't like him and leave it at that. But don't be like, LeBron didn't close nobody out. <laughs> he gave the Pistons on his way to his first finals yeah. 25 straight points right. and 25 of 28 points to close the game. And you're like, with the Detroit Pistons, this was the, the, ben, <laughs> the ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Detroit Pistons. And if you ever watch, there's that clip on YouTube where it shows all LeBron's baskets they tried everything. You had Tayshawn on them. You had Chance. Like, they were double. T- like, you couldn't double team him. He was too big and too strong to be double teamed by the Detroit Pistons. So, again, say you don't like somebody. It's That's 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 my pro- That's your prerogative, right? That's whatever. But don't lie. Just say I don't like LeBron. Yeah. Just say I don't like LeBron James. And that's fine. And that's fine. You know, you ain't got to like everybody, but don't lie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, did you take any of the double Hall of Fame ceremony for the 20 and 21 classes? I didn't. I reminisced a little bit about going up uh, when Jerry got inducted. But honestly, again, a lot of those speeches kind of sound the same. You know, to be, you know, I, 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 I'm sounding like a curmudgeon these days with my Olympic takes, but you know, look, everybody had a coach that believed in them. Everybody had somebody that didn't believe in them. You know, they thank their teammates. Like, okay, like, I, it, it means something different if it's like your guy. Like, if you're listening to Emmett Smith, it hits you different than if it's Peyton Manning. Like, it just, because when Emmett Smith's talking, you're like, I remember when the Cowboys were good. And you're having a lot of good memories about that. And (laughs) 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 
<laughs> and you're like, man, I'm gonna pop in the VHS cassette and watch the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> 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 <Wow>. <laughs> 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 but it just it hits different when it's your team. I think, uh, you know, because it they're 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 long, and I get it. You yo know, you 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 made the Hall of Fame. You get to talk your talk. But I don't know. I've never been one of those people to sit down and watch the speeches. Oh, man. I was here for it all. Dude. I was here for all of them. I watched every one of them this year. And first of all, you know, Peyton Manning went to Tennessee, you know, beat our brains in, paper balls, and get all that. But to have your dad present you, Archie was there to present him and both of them lift up the bust and all that that was that was pretty cool um and his speech was now they all had the most like time limits you couldn't go on and on and on like they usually do they <laughs> think they had to go like i think everybody had like six minutes and so peyton got his digs in he said you know the 2021 class we have we have all these other classes to thank for the fact that we can only be up here for six minutes. He said, <laughs> he said, Ray Lewis is just now finishing his speech from 2018. And Ray was laughing and everybody was laughing. So he, Peyton had jokes. He said, by the time Tom Brady gets inducted to the Hall of Fame in the class of 2035, the only thing he'd better do is post about it on Instagram. So he had a couple jokes, made some funny lines. Um, a lot of speeches do sound the same, but Edron James did. And you know, Edge is a different type of dude. His closing speech was was really cool. Uh, and I'll just read yeah. it real quick. He said, My close my closing message proudly represent the real you. Follow your dreams, aim high and create the life you want to live. And all those that have been judged prematurely because of their appearance, the way they speak, or where they come from, and in the minds of many should be locked up in prison. I represent us. I'm forever immortalized, locked up in the Canton Correctional Institution. Then he opened the inside of his gold jacket because he's the 336 member to go in. Inmate number 336 in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. My career started with gold teeth and ended with this gold jacket. Thanks and God bless. I think that was that, that was, was good. Speeches now. That was good, and that's a good segue to something else. Uh, with Bobby Bowden passing away. Yeah. And again, for people of our age, the Miami-Florida State game was always the game of the year. Mm -hmm. Like for seven or eight seasons, the winner of that game played in the national championship. Like it was, that game was a national semifinal, even though like seven straight Miami won. But uh, Bomani Jones has talked about this with the 80s that is when integration really took over because in the 70s Florida State Miami weren't they weren't anything no. like right now we just take it as conventional wisdom and if you just go down to my uh, Florida get you some guys you know that's how you're competitive right uh -huh. like, we just know like you gotta if you are gonna compete for a championship you gotta have some Florida dudes well that wasn't the conventional wisdom wisdom you know when you and I were real young until Howard Schnellenberger 
at Miami, and then Bobby Bowden at Florida State just said, hey, wait a minute. We got these dudes here. We are not going to run the wishbone. We are not going to run the wing tee. You know, we are going to just line up on offense. We're going to have four fast dudes that make you guard them. That's what Miami and Florida, that's how they beat everybody. Right? And not only that, but they went to the places in Florida that I think we talked about it before how Miami and by extension Florida was the epitome of cool in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about when the first go around when the U was first the U. You know, that's when you and I started kind of picking up like, I just had always assumed Miami was good, but no, they'd only been good for like three three years at that point, right? But Miami <laughs> football, Miami Vice, the Dolphins with Dan Marino were in the Super Bowl. Like, Miami was it. Like, everything was set in Miami. Florida was just, you know, because of the drugs, but, you know, Florida, <laughs> you know, uh, two live crew, that whole Miami sound, Gloria Estefan, the Miami sound machine. Like, Miami and Florida was just cool. And so, those schools, Miami and Florida State, went in to places and got kids that, that looked like Edger and James. I yep. mean, if you look at those Miami, those early Miami teams, and then a little bit later, those Florida State Miami teams, college football was different in the 80s. You know, it was it was it it was not flamboyant, except for Miami and Florida State. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bobby Bowden turned the keys to the team over to Deion Sanders <laughs> 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 and, and allowed these dudes to be themselves. Like we talk about, uh, you know, player coaches and all this kind of stuff. Bobby Bowden, like, hey, you know. As long as you play, do what you want to do. You watch the U documentary, and that's what the Miami players told Dennis Erickson when he came in. Like, look, you do that. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> and and it worked for them. And Edron James is right. He was His look was, quote, unquote, thug. That's what we thought. That's, you know, the, the that was the Miami persona. That was the Florida State persona. You know, so that was, you know, for everybody who just assumed that I should be in jail just to have a, just, you know, don't judge me by my cover. So that was, that was cool he said that. And going back to the Hall of Fame thing, there, there were three Cowboys that went in. So shout out to uh, Cliff Harris, Drew Pearson, and Jimmy Johnson, who goes into Canton before he gets into the ring of fame in Dallas. And before the game, he was there with Jerry. And Jerry did say that he was going to put him in, and Jimmy, and I'm glad he asked. He said, you're going to do it while I'm still alive. So we we shall see if Jimmy gets in the ring of fame in Dallas now that he's in Canton. And, and will he still be alive when he's put in there? So Jerry said he's going to do it, but he should have already done it. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. That's just a, that's a huge omission. Uh I think it's great when your guys go into the Hall of Fame, but it's also special that your team honor you for what you've done. Oh, my God. I, I just, I, I don't know 
and you know, I think we've talked about it multiple times. It's been talked about. There's just no way that that Jimmy Johnson should not be uh, more celebrated by the by the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. It's it, it just it, it, it's it's nonsensical. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see. I'm glad Jimmy asked him that on TV. Put him on the spot. He said, "Am I gonna get in while I'm alive?" I'd ask the same thing because I've been. 30 years and I ain't in yet. I'd ask the exact same thing. <laughs> Is he, he's, I mean, he's 78. Jimmy's 78 now. He's, you know, she still got more hair than I do, but it's all white now. But he said, Am I going to be alive to see it? And I, look, I won't blame you one bit for asking him that because <laughs> it's just Jerry being petty. But that's the only reason it hadn't happened already. <laughs> right, right. And, 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 you know, well, we, we don't have time to get into all that, but, but definitely. <laughs> It was, it was good to see. And, I, and look, I check out the highlights and everything like that when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I don't want to be uh, too uh, too mean. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I understand. But yeah. So, we had a blast. Glad you hopped on. Hit up Mr. Spaces last night. Uh, and we'll get Jim host. He told us not to call him Mr. I'm struggling but just calling him Jim. But we'll get Jim on again. And talk about the book, changing the game again, um, and, and ask some more questions that we didn't get in this time. You know, we'll both be able to ask him some stuff. So, um, yeah, fun again. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, hey, man. Oh, are you in a? You and Kate, look, man. It's the the Field of Dreams game. Are y'all going to that tomorrow? Or what's happening, <laughs> man? <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> not with the not with the tickets being like ten thousand dollars. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, is. no, we. I mean, we we were we were playing because they had like a lottery for that you could get tickets. Our intention was to do it last year, but obviously, uh, hello pandemic. But yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I just I, you know I'm not a big Field of Dreams fan, mm-hmm. but I understand it's pretty cool, and we definitely it's like an hour and a half maybe. Oh, okay. I, just, I just want to go see it. Yeah. Like, I just want to go see the field mm-hmm. uh, and all that kind of stuff because they never took it down. Like, it, you know, I think the local high school team, like, teams still use it. Like, you can still wow. go and play. And obviously, it's a tourist attraction and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to try that or check it out. But, nah, a little, little, little too rich for my blood. That's it. And with it being White Sox and Yankees, I mean, does does Kate wish both of them could lose? I mean, who you who you rooting for in that scenario? Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's neither. She, you know, she she's diehard Cubs, yeah. but you have to remember that for people like our age, the White Sox and Cubs never played. Uh huh. Like it's not a real rivalry. Uh, it's only been. You know what? Fifteen years with interleague play, something like that. You know, maybe, maybe longer than that. I don't. You know, but still, we didn't grow up playing all the time. So it's it's kind of hard to to have that rivalry. Uh, you know, they have the crosstown, whatever they call it, when they play. But mm-hmm. they just had that this past weekend with the Cubs and the White Sox. But it's not a it's not a it's not diehard. You know. Uh, which is surprising, you know. The the when the Yankees and the Mets play, that seems to be pretty brutal. But Chicago, uh, you know, for fa- I, I think for the fans in the city of Chicago, it's a bigger issue. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, you see the opposing fans every day. and You know, for a long time, neither team, you know, both teams had a long drought of being relevant, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but for most other fans, they they didn't grow up with it. So the White Sox really and, you know, most people hate the Yankees. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Well, man, I just had to get that in. I almost forgot, but uh, I'll probably just peep at it just to see what it looks like. Uh, don't care for either of the teams, but you don't see a game in the field like that very often, so I'll flip it on and look at it a little bit tomorrow night. And we'll do this again next week, man. Appreciate you, TV. And uh, as always, hope y'all have a good evening and a good rest of your week. And stay safe and stay cool. All that good stuff is with it. Yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah, for sure. So check this out where all the podcasts are available. We share our friends at BS3 Radio, Lots of Terrain Watches, and Play Action Pools. And it's been another episode of Cast Talk Wednesday for Man TV. This is Vinny Hardy. Thanks again to the Legend Gym host. We'll see everybody next week.